Christian emerged from the Valley of Humiliation and gazed up into the black sky. Neither star nor moon was visible, and Christian could not say whether it was truly night or just a property of this place to be always dark, as it had seemed to be in the valley itself. Off to his left, a hundred feet or so, he saw the glowing coals of a fire and what seemed to be a person sleeping near it. Christian was considering whether he too should get some sleep when two men approached him from the east, holding lamps out before them and moving quickly through the darkness. Ho there, one of them called. Stow your weapon, we travel in peace. Christian looked down at the sword locked in his hand. He'd carried it with him since the battle with Apollyon, unsure of what other enemies he might encounter. He had met no further opposition in that valley, though, and now he slid the sword back into its scabbard. Where are you men going at this hour? he asked. At this hour, you say? Oh, I suppose it is quite early in the day, but not too early to flee from danger and head back home to safety, and that is where we are going. Back, back, and you should as well, if either life or peace is prized by you. What's the matter? Well, we were headed the way you are headed, and in fact we pushed on as far as we dared go, almost past coming back. I've no doubt that had we gone even a hundred feet further, we would not have been able to bring you this warning, for we would be very much dead. The man's silent companion nodded his agreement, eyes wide and frantic. What warning? What have you met with? And where? Where? Why... At most two or three furlongs from here, just ahead, in the darkness, we almost followed the road down into the valley of the shadow of death, but we happened to spot the danger and avoid it. The danger? Be specific, man! Why, the valley itself! It is darker than pitch, and yet, in flashes of light, we saw goblins, satyrs, and dragons moving about. We also heard a continual howling and shrieking, the, the sounds of unutterable misery. And over that valley hangs the discouraging cloud of confusion. His companion whispered something in his ear, and the man added, Oh, and death, too. Death always spreads his wings over it. In a word, it is formless and void. Dreadful and chaotic. I, I suppose that's several words, but you get the point. And even if you were to make it through the valley, you will find the ground on the other side soaked with blood and littered with bones and human remains. For there, two giants, Pontiff and Pagan, live in a cave just off the way and have from antiquity. These giants have slaughtered many in the cruelest ways imaginable, and they have particular taste for the blood of pilgrims. Christian was unmoved. I've already met with similar warnings from others. My townsman, Mr. Timorous, and another, um, Mistrust, they told me to turn back as I neared the top of Hill Difficulty. There were lions in the streets, they said, and the only sane course of action was to flee back down the hill to the town of my birth. But I ignored their foolish, wicked counsel, and, as you can see, I still stand and still make progress day by day, hour by hour, along this pilgrim road. <laughs> well... We, sir, are not your townsmen or some other rabble. We are descended of famous men. In fact, I would bet a pound to a shilling that you now carry on your person the record of their exploits. I'll admit you have piqued my interest. Whose line are you descended from? Why, those who spied out the land of milk and honey while the people of God wandered in the wilderness. You two men are descended from Caleb or Joshua? Clearing his throat uncomfortably, the man said, No, our, uh, our ancestors were among the other spies. Christian smirked. That sounds about right. 
Let us turn back, for there are giants in the land. Did not this sort of cowardice cost an entire generation their inheritance? How dare you? He drew his sword again. I do not wish to hear any more of your warnings. If you are intent on fleeing, then get on with it. I am headed to the Celestial City, through whatever this road might take me. Fine then, be it your way. We will not choose it for ours. And the two men continued back toward the Valley of Humiliation. Well, Christian said to himself, let's see how bad it is. I've now defeated a devil. I doubt there's anything to top that down below. But in that valley, Christian found himself far more frightened, felt far more alone, and faced such terrors that he would have gladly traded them for a dozen Apollyons. High and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. John Bunyan's timeless Christian allegory, as told by Zachary Bartles. Chapter 11, Darkest Night. Faithful pulled in a chestful of fresh, cool air tinged with the smell of lavender and vanilla and thanked God for this beautiful, sunny day and for this oddly named place. The valley of the shadow of death was bright and breezy this morning. Birds lighted on branches overhead, singing happily. Butterflies flitted about. This, of course, was not what he'd expected. Indeed, Faithful might have assumed that shame was lying about the valley's name had there not also been a rather official-looking sign identifying the place as such, right where the narrow way entered into it. The pilgrim had come up out of the Valley of Humiliation just as the sun was setting and made good on his intention to enjoy a fire and a good meal. Then he'd slept deeply for just a few hours, just off the path, while the fire slowly died, awakening a bit before dawn. He felt so refreshed and full of energy that he'd begun his descent immediately, expecting to face great trials and difficulties. But apart from a narrowing of the path, he'd encountered nothing frightening or even all that challenging. Still, he'd seen these things turn quickly during his time as a pilgrim, so he kept his head up and prepared for the worst. Christian pressed on, downward, into the dark and solitary valley. He recognized the place from the words of the prophet Jeremiah, a wilderness, a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and deep darkness and the shadow of death. A land through whom none passes, and in which none dwells. The pilgrim could feel the effects of the dark cloud of confusion pressing down on him, impressing words and pictures upon his heart, pushing them in so firmly that Christian began to think he'd always known them, like deja vu of the soul. Flashes of truth and lies mixed together, searing themselves into his mind. In the total darkness, Christian struggled to stay on the narrow road knowing that he was always one step from ruin. To his right was a deep ditch, and he could see, in the occasional flash of lightning, bleach-white bones and yawning skulls scattered along its bottom, and he knew that these were the remains of the blind of all ages having been led by their fellow blind until they miserably perished together. To his left was a dangerous quag, which seemed to be without bottom, and Christian knew he would not survive the fall should he stumble into it. He felt the oppressive cloud pushing down again, and he saw King David, the man after God's own heart, falling into the quag, smothered in the putrid slime. 
Hope began to drip away from the pilgrim's heart, as if displaced from above by the cloud pressing in, filling him up with doubt and despair. If mighty David could not stay clear of the quag, how could he hope to? Then he remembered his book. David had not stayed in the pit, had he? It was too dark here to read any passages, but he had hidden much of it in his heart. Christian called to mind David's own words when he was in the pit. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies in the deep waters. Had that prayer of the king been answered? No, no, surely not. He saw the image of David, face down in the filth, slowly sinking, disappearing into the quag beneath him. No, 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 that wasn't right. He searched his heart again, sifting through the deception and sin within, looking only for the eternal word. Yes, here it was. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. David was rising up now, carried out of the pit, washed clean once again, set on his throne by the grace of the King of Kings. Christian found his courage and began moving along the narrow path. It was difficult, and he was prone to overcorrect. When he tried to give the ditch a wide berth, he was in danger of falling into the mire. And when he turned away from the mire, the ditch was there, waiting to swallow him down. He remembered the feeling of being sucked into the slough of despond and took a moment to thank his king that he was no longer carrying that awkward, heavy burden on his back. For if he was, he would have doubtless gone headlong into a muck-filled grave a dozen times already. As he moved through the valley, it became commonplace for Christian to take a step, unable to see where his foot would land. This caused him to sigh bitterly, resenting this stretch of the road, trying with all his being not to resent the king who had called him to walk it. By and by, though, the path widened just a bit, and the darkness gave way to a diffused glow that served more to elongate and distort every shadow than to actually illuminate his path. At first, any light seemed like an improvement to Christian, but the orange glow had an indefinable malice in it. And by it, Christian could now see scurrying goblins to match the skittering sounds of wicked webbed feet as they dashed from shadow to shadow, circling ever closer. He kept the sword clasped in his hand, ready at any moment to lunge, to strike, to lop off a goblin's head, or stab through another dragon's belly. Any sense of time continued to elude Christian. Even as the light increased, the further he descended, the more of that troubling orange light seeped in, revealing glimpses of hideous creatures all around. At about the middle of the valley, Christian came upon the source of the light, and he again knew just what it was, as if he'd been here before. It was the mouth of hell itself. The flames and smoke poured up continually amidst sparks and hideous noises. As the pilgrim gazed into the raging flames, a creature dashed past his back so closely that he felt his coat ripple in the wind of its wake. He spun around but saw nothing behind him. With this sword, I bested Apollyon, Christian shouted, first into the flames and then into the darkness behind him. Goblins, satyrs, demons, and dragons, beware, for I will slay you as well. 
through the flames, an impish little winged goblin flew right at Christian's head. Rearing back with his sword, he had no time to swing it, and instead threw himself to the ground, dangerously near the flames. They do not fear my sword, Christian realized, and put it up. He then drew all prayer from his back and cried out, O Lord, deliver my soul! The goblin came through the flames again, wings beating, mouth wide open, fangs bared. Christian thrust the lance upward, impaling the grotesque creature through the chest and driving it to the ground. With a flick of his wrists, he cast the goblin into the fiery pit. The sound of many more beating wings was growing ever louder, and Christian decided to move on from here as quickly as he could. Putting the fire at his back, he resumed the narrow road. And yet, for the space of several miles, the fingers of flame seemed to continually reach for him, bearing in their vapors the sounds of doleful creatures screaming and moaning. Two more flying monsters swooped in on him and paid the price with their miserable lives. Christian pushed on, struggling to divide his attention between the enemies above, the flames behind, and the sound of monsters rushing to and fro until he felt sure that he would be torn to pieces. More than once, it occurred to him that he should go back rather than face further terrors, but then he reminded himself that he was certainly more than halfway through and had already faced so many dangers that going back might be far worse than pushing ahead. A wretched, chalk-white creature rushed in on Christian from the shadows and grabbed hold of his weapon, tugging with surprising might for its size. It glared at him and shrieked. Christian called out, Lord, give me victory against my enemies, and jerked the handle of the lance along the ground, sweeping the creature's legs out from beneath it. In one fluid motion, he brought the head of the spear down, through its hideous face, and into the earth beneath. The creature's body spasmed for a moment, went still, and then burst into flames. I will walk in the strength of the Lord God, Christian said, picking up the pace yet more, and in the light of his truth. Then he heard the creatures begin to shrink back, the skittering sounds of their feet and the foul flapping of their wings barely audible. But something worse took their place. For at this point, Christian was so confounded by the cloud of confusion above and so disoriented by the many attacks from all around him that he no longer knew his own voice. And as he walked, he heard in his head many wicked blasphemies, the likes of which would never have crossed his mind even before he was a pilgrim. They came relentlessly, one on top of another. And of all the things that Christian had faced in either valley, this came the closest to breaking him. Faithful had now been several hours in the Valley of the Shadow of Death, and still he'd seen no sign of the terrors and dangers that shame had promised him. The day was growing brighter, although deep in the valley as he was, he could not yet see the sun. Still, it was a lovely walk on a lovely day along the Pilgrim Road. Perhaps the name of the valley was meant ironically, he thought. If anything, this place made him want to dawdle. A hot spring beside the path had drawn his interest a short time ago, about midway through the valley, and he'd watched it bubble until the sulfurous smell made him a bit lightheaded. He'd then seen gorgeous flowering plants, the likes of which he'd never encountered before, and many colorful birds, each with its own song. As the road began to incline in earnest, it took him past a peculiar tree, so peculiar, in fact, that it briefly arrested his progress. It came up from its roots as a solid, singular trunk, which then split into three at about waist level. These three smaller trunks grew up parallel to each other for another 20 or 30 feet before coming back together in a beautiful braid. 
pleasant white flowers, each with three petals, bloomed from its branches, smelling sweet and heavy. The tree and everything about it called to mind the Blessed Trinity. Looking down, Faithful saw a bird's nest sitting right where the trunk divided into three, and in it, three perfect blue eggs, the promises of new life. He laughed. How could this place bear such an ominous name? He said aloud, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Then Faithful saw a man hunched over, either in pain or fear or both, just a few feet beyond the tree, his face buried in his hands. Now and then the man would swipe at the air as if to repel some insect or perhaps something larger. Compassion welled up in Faithful's breast, but then he thought of the last two men he'd met along this path. Both had laid a trap for him, hoping to play on his loneliness and desire for a companion, and neither of them was quite the spectacle that this man was, nor had they been armed to the teeth as this man was. If Faithful drew near, a single blow might overcome him. Yes, it was probably best to err on the side of caution here and continue on his way. Still, he should offer some words of encouragement. Uh, take heart, friend, Faithful said as he stepped away from the tree and returned to the path. It could be so much worse. You could be unarmed, <laughs> like me. Or you could live here instead of just passing through. On your feet and on your way. The flames had finally stopped licking at Christian's heels, but before he could even give thanks for this grace, the renewed darkness dropped a heavy blanket of apathy over his heart. He shuffled forward, driven more by habit than anything else. The thought of the celestial city, which had been continually before him since leaving his home, did nothing whatsoever for him now. Slowly he walked, making progress, but not really caring if he reached his destination. The light of day, thin and strained as it was, came upon him so slowly that he barely noticed it until he found himself standing before a hideous, twisted tree, the sight of which brought him to a stop and made him long for the darkness to return. Beneath Christian's feet and spreading out through the entire valley floor as far as he could see, gnarled roots snaked this way and that like varicose veins. Where they came together, the trunk of the tree split upward into three smaller, twisting trunks entwining together grotesquely. The shape of it reminded Christian of Apollyon's vicious talon reaching out to flay the flesh from his back, and his wound, though healed, flared up in pain anew. A subtle movement beneath him caught Christian's eye. There, nestled in the midst of the tree, was a nest made of ink-black thorns and filled with three fat purple eggs, pulsing and quivering, ready to hatch. Christian stepped back, wondering what manner of abomination might be about to burst forth. His apathy grew heavier until it dragged him quite literally to the ground and there matured into hopelessness even as the darkness again rolled in, and yet more blasphemous words filled his heart. Christian shuddered, crying without tears. He could feel the creatures closing back in on him, the goblins and demons circling above like vultures. He would not reach the celestial city. That much was clear. He'd been foolish to think he ever could. For him to leave on pilgrimage was the equivalent of a young boy playing at being soldier. What? nonsense. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Christian stopped his crying for a moment. 
That voice had not been his own. It had not been in his head. Of this he was sure. And hearing it broke him free from the spell he was under. He began to fight against the weight on his spirit and the fear in his heart, wanting to stand, willing himself to rise up. Um, take heart, friend, came the same voice. It could be so much worse. You could be unarmed, <laughs> like me. Or you could live here instead of just passing through. On your feet and on your way. Who was speaking these words? He did not bother to lift his head and peer into the darkness, as it was pointless, and for fear of seeing that frightful tree again. Still, a spark of gladness flared up in his soul, and the joy he felt began to burn away the fear, then the hopelessness, then the apathy. Christian began to number his blessings by way of banishing the darkness. Blessing number one. There was someone else in this valley who feared the Lord. That alone was something. Blessing number two. These familiar words from a beloved psalm, spoken by he knew not whom, reminded him of a bedrock truth. God was with him through this dark and dismal place. I may not see him, Christian thought, but that has only to do with this place and my perception, and not his power or presence. Blessing number three. If there was a friendly pilgrim nearby, perhaps they might travel together and offer each other fellowship and security. And blessing number four, those wicked thoughts introduced through this valley had not been his own at all. He could see that now. In fact, those voices which had invaded his heart and mind were familiar to Christian. He'd heard them before in his dreams in the city of destruction. They were repugnant to him then as they were now, and he would rebuke them and cast them out if they spoke again. Christian rose and returned to the path. He had taken only a dozen or so steps when the sun burst forth from above the valley head. Lovely, purifying light, Christian cried out, he turns the shadow of death into the morning. Jehovah is his name. The smoke behind him and the dark cloud of confusion above thinned away, burnt off by the light of the rising sun. Then Christian looked back, not out of a desire to return, but just to see by the light of day what hazards he had gone through. And when he saw the ditch and the quag and how narrow the path had been, he was amazed that he had made it through. He also saw the goblins, satyrs, and dragons of the pit, but now all far off, not daring to come into full light. Christian thought of the words of Job. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings out to light the shadow of death. As he looked back at the dangers he'd faced, the new light made them not only conspicuous to him, but absurd. Christian returned all prayer to his back and again drew his sword, hacking here and there at vines, ropes, and tripwires spanning the path. It became immediately clear to him that while the first part of the valley had been dangerous, this final ascent was even more so, filled as it was with snares and traps, deadfalls, pitfalls, and nets. Had he tried to pass through here in the dark, he was sure he would not have made it, even if he had a thousand souls. Thanks and praise overflowed from his heart. Even just knowing that it was now morning was a great relief to Christian. And then an even greater cause for praise. He saw another man up ahead, scaling the last and steepest steps out of the valley. Oh, wait! Christian called out, sheathing his sword and beginning to run. Hold! Wait for me, my friend! 
He'd taken only a few steps when his foot broke through a thin brush-covered lattice and his body dropped into an open pit. His right hand snaked a thick vine and he found himself dangling over a grid of spikes, glistening with poison ten feet beneath him. Help! He called out. Help me, please! His hand, still stiff from the wound he'd received the day before, began to cramp and the vine itself began to slip. Christian looked down into the pit and knew that if he fell, he would die, although certainly not quickly. Does anyone hear me? Oh, Lord, send your angels or your mortal servants or send anyone. He felt his right hand letting go and the vine slipping through it and then a sudden rough grip around his wrist and he was lifted slowly and painfully out of the pit. Oh, Whew. That is some heavy armor, his rescuer said, plopping down next to him. And some, uh, some rather well-made armor. Where on earth did you pre- Wait, Christian? Is that you? Faithful? It, it is you! I caught you! They both rose to their feet and embraced. You caught me, Faithful laughed. I've been trying to catch up to you since I, I set out from destruction. Oh man, I, I passed you back- didn't I? At the... Oh, we have so much to talk about. Indeed we do. I can't wait to hear everything about your journey so far. Likewise. Let's walk and talk, Faithful replied. And the two of them came up from the second valley in far higher spirits than they had entered it. So, tell me, Christian said. How long did you stay in destruction after I set out? As long as I could, and longer than I should. In fact, if it wasn't for this old man that came to my door and demanded that I, um... He trailed off. Christian followed his gaze and saw that the ground was littered with bones, ashes, and mangled bodies. The giants, he said. These two fleeing men warned me that we would find these things beyond the valley. Evidence of two giants living in a nearby cave. And, and look, there! He pointed to the open maw of a massive cavern a hundred feet back from the path. Those men were right about the creatures in the valley, and it seems they were right about these giants. Uh, Pontiff and, and Pagan, they called them. I don't think we need to worry, Faithful said, giving his companion's arm a brief tug, and then continually pulling him along through the midst of the bones. I've heard of these giants. Pagan is said to have died a long time ago, and, well, some recent sightings have been reported here and there, it's always far from his former home. And as for this one, they passed by the entrance of the cave and saw a fat, droopy-eyed giant sitting just inside, his stubby fingers covered in rings and jewels. Well, from what I hear, due to his age and the many shrewd brushes of his younger days, He's now so crazy and stiff in his joints that he can do little more than sit there in the mouth of the cave, biting his nails and grinning at pilgrims as they go by. What is he mumbling? Christian asked. Oh, I don't know. Just ignore him. Pontiff looked up at the pilgrims, pulling on his lip and saying, You will never mend till more of you are burned. <laughs> you will never mend. The pilgrims said nothing until they had cleared the bones and debris and made some further progress, shoulder to shoulder, on the narrow way. Christian broke the silence. Yeah, so you were saying someone showed up at your door and prompted you to set out? 
Oh, right. Um, you know, it's a long and strange story. Well, it's a long and strange road. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional sound effects and music licensed from Pond5.com. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com slash audio. Hi, and Silver. Good. <laughs> <laughs>